Welcome to the Bucket Problem bonus feed. I am your host, Ace Antbender. We are not calling this the solo show because I am not solo today. We're welcoming our first guest on the bonus feed, uh, Patrick Mayhorn of Buckeye Sports Bulletin, The Outside Zone, which is a fantastic Group of Five-focused newsletter, and Flipping the Field, a podcast with Ryan Donnelly, who I may be playing this week in a Dynasty Fantasy Football League. Um, all fantastic stuff that you should check out. Um, am I missing anything, Patrick? It it would be I, I think it would be hard to get it all encompassed into one list, uh, but I, I think you did get it all. I I appreciate it. <laughs> um, I'm glad I glad I got it all in there because it's all good stuff. I That's, was I appreciate that. I it's, was listening uh, to flipping the field earlier, <laughs> like earlier today. Um, I, I will say that that flipping the field is is tonally a little bit a little bit different than this show. But if if folks are into uh, into that sort of thing, <laughs> it it's tonally a little bit closer to say um, the main feed podcast yeah. than uh, the solo <laughs> show podcast. Um, speaking of which, I I want to just dive right into it. Um, you are an Ohio State affiliated person so I want to ask what the hell happened to Ohio <laughs> State on Saturday where they could put up 612 yards of total offense and lose to Oregon Ace I, I should have asked this beforehand can I cuss on this show yes absolutely okay Ohio State <laughs> Ohio State got its ass handed to it in an extremely severe way I mean in a in a way that I have not seen happen at Ohio State in I've been covering the team since twenty seventeen in a in a probably the entire time I've been covering the team because even the twenty seventeen it, it was I, I wrote a, a story afterward and I compared it to twenty seventeen Oklahoma. I think that that is probably the best parallel I can find. But like the Iowa game wasn't really like that. The Purdue game certainly wasn't like that. It it, it felt like Ohio State just got blown off the field by a severely more prepared and and honestly what looked like a more talented team and that just doesn't happen to Ohio State very often especially not in the regular season it was a it was a it was a game where and I, I'm not the first to say this but Oregon's offensive line was significantly better than Ohio State's defensive line and and vice versa and that just as I said it doesn't happen to Ohio State very often um but it, it was Ohio State was was dominated severely in the physical parts of the game and then defensively specifically Ohio State is lost it's completely lost it it doesn't it it is running a a scheme and we will we will talk about this but it is running a scheme that relies very heavily on simplicity that its players do not understand which is usually not a great thing for a scheme that is extremely I mean there's two plays Ohio State runs two plays on defense and its players doesn't don't really understand either of them um for reasons that I will I will elaborate on but um it's a Ohio State was just badly beaten it it looked I don't think that 35-28 was necessarily reflective of the actual game there I think that Oregon was about three scores better and it was just it's very strange to to see that happen to this Ohio State program and to even just this team which I I, uh, two weeks in I think I could say pretty comfortably is not as good as the last ones have been Um, but it was just it's weird to see that happen to Ohio State against a team that isn't like Alabama yeah, I will say it was it was pretty shocking to see from this end too. Although I was probably enjoying it a little bit more. Um, <laughs> so obviously the focus after the game is on defensive coordinator Kerry Coombs, and uh, he got I, I don't know like he got Ryan Day got the chance to give him a vote of confidence. And yes, was like I'll pass actually, <laughs> um, and so now there is a ton of speculation about whether Coombs will continue 
calling plays on defense, whether there will be like a, an emergency defensive coordinator brought in. I don't know how you do that uh, after, you know, two weeks of the season. But uh, I guess, first of all, like, why does Coombs keep getting like Peter principled into a play calling role? So the, the easy answer is, I, I think Ryan Day hired Kerry Combs a couple years ago. He he hired him to replace Jeff Halfley specifically because he didn't want another defensive coordinator that would leave after one season. Um, Jeff Halfley was in Ohio State's staff room for one year. Ryan Day, that was his, his first defensive coordinator hire. Halfley did, I would say, a very good job in installing the, the single high cover one, cover three defense that Ohio State is still running. Um, but he did too well and was immediately hired away by Boston College, and I, I think that deservedly so. But Ryan Day didn't seem to be super thrilled about that, and I think that he wanted to hire someone from within the family in the form of Kerry Combs who maybe would stick around a little bit longer. Um, this is Kerry Combs' first job as a defensive coordinator ever, I believe. Um, it, it, he, he was a head coach in, in Ohio high school football for a very long time, but he has not called plays at this level or really at any level. Um, and the, the short answer for why he keeps being put in these situations where he's calling plays is that uh, Ohio State doesn't have anyone on the staff who has ever called defensive plays. Um, Larry Johnson hasn't done it. He probably could, but he hasn't. Um, Al Washington certainly hasn't done it. Al Washington also, I don't think, is coaching the correct position, which is interesting. Um, hey, that's Michigan's thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Matt Barnes is uh, my age and certainly hasn't done it. Uh, Parker Fleming was just promoted from being a GA to a, to an on-field coaching role, and then you have Kerry Combs. So it, it's it's an entire defensive staff of guys who have no coordinator experience. Um, Paul Rhodes, the former Iowa State head coach, who I believe was a coordinator all over the place most recently at Arizona, is in the building as an analyst, but obviously he can't call plays from from that vantage point. So I, I think that it is sort of just comes by default. Um, I'm I'm very curious to see what Ohio State is going to do with this moving forward because as you mentioned day certainly didn't offer up a whole lot of uh support of combs in his most recent press conferences um he uh, i actually have the quote here because i wrote a story on this yesterday uh he was asked if uh, uh about his confidence in in Kerry combs and sort of tossed a a softball you know opportunity to to support his staff and his coach and he says when you look at the results of the last couple of games and in coming off of last year it's not what we expect here that's all part of looking at how we need to move forward with this thing and that was when asked about how confident he is in Kerry combs <laughs> um Yikes. which is not <laughs> Not terribly friendly. Um, somebody, I, I believe it was, uh, I don't know if he's a friend of this show, but friend of, of uh, this community in general, Bill Landis of The Athletic, asked mm-hmm. straight up, um, is Kerry Combs still the defensive coordinator? <laughs> Usually if that's being asked in a press conference after week two, it's it's not a it's not an excellent sign for how things are going. And it, it's really just, I think Kerry is, a, is in a bad situation here. And I, I don't, I don't really have anything against Kerry as a guy. He seems nice enough. I, 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 I don't know if I have a ton in common with him, but he was a pretty good <laughs> defensive backs coach when he was at Ohio State the first time. He is, yeah. by all accounts, a good recruiter. I, I hesitate to say that about anybody at Ohio State because I think that I could probably recruit at Ohio <laughs> State. But he, he's just out of his element in a in a very public and embarrassing way. And I, I, it was surprising to see Ryan Day 
and I don't think Day was necessarily wrong to do this, but it was surprising to see him rebuke him so blatantly just because you don't usually get that kind of honesty from a head coach unless they are very shortly planning on a change, if not already have made that change behind closed doors. So what I'm hearing is Ohio State could really use Greg Madison right now. <laughs> Listen, there are uh, the, the the message board rumors agree with you on <laughs> on, on that. I hadn't front. even uh, that wasn't even what prompted that. I'm staying off message boards these days. But that is fantastic. Um, is there like I mean, how do you see the situation like potentially resolving itself? Because the I mean. Combs, the defensive coordinator, seems kind of untenable, but yeah. like you said, there's nobody else in the room right now other than an analyst uh, who's filled this role. My guess, and I, I hesitate to say that this is an educated guess because it's very hard to be educated about the inner workings of Ohio State as even a reporter who covers it every day. There's just not a ton of information to be had that isn't message board quality only. Um my guess is that Ohio State's going to try some sort of a rotation for defensive play calling to see if anyone is capable of it. Um, the 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 good news for Ryan Day and for Ohio State is that the next four games are are it would be difficult to lose. Uh, they play Tulsa, Akron, at Rutgers, and Maryland. Oh, um, that at Rutgers game is not. Great, I wouldn't say, because I, I think Sean Gleason is, is a very good offensive coordinator and Ohio State, uh, no comment on the defensive coordinator. <laughs> um, and we just saw what happened against Joe Moorhead, and I, I think Sean Gleason is similarly smart, if not, you know, doesn't quite have the talent that, that Joe Moorhead does to work with. Um, but it would be it'd be pretty hard to lose those games. The Maryland game also a little bit interesting because Maryland can pass the ball, and that's not great for what Ohio State's got going on. Um, but I, I think this... this uh, I think this is going to culminate in, in some sort of Ohio State just trying different guys out. Um, I think Larry Johnson's going to get a shot at it. He was the replacement head coach for Ryan Day last season when Day missed the, I want to say, Michigan State game with COVID. Um, he is obviously a, a trusted voice in the staff. I think he's just about the only defensive staffer that is safe right now. Um, I think Matt Barnes is going to get a shot at it as well. The secondary coach, he was at Maryland a couple years ago, and, and some people are saying he did spend a little bit of time calling plays. I don't I don't know if I can confirm that. I know he was, <laughs> he was at Maryland. That that much we do know, but um, it would have been on an interim role if he was, and that's just, we're, we're, we're you know, guessing at that point. Uh, but Matt Barnes is somebody who Ryan Day has in the past liked quite a bit. He was somebody who, who was on that first staff with, that, that Day built out, and it, it seems like for several years now he has been groomed as the next defensive coordinator i don't know if that happens now um it seems like maybe you can't hire from within in this situation even if ryan day wants to um but i i think that ohio state's going to try out pretty much every option that it has here i mean al washington was offered a defensive coordinator job over the offseason so i suppose you can give him a shot as well um but i I think that it is going to be ohio state just going to test some things for these next four weeks in preparation for the the rest of the season because it's not it's not super afraid of of losing any of these next four games unless something goes disastrously wrong which i suppose has already happened once do you expect uh part of that experimentation to involve trying something out other than just the one high safety uh stuff that ohio state has been running for years now but it seems kind of pretty stuck not doing very well with with combs i would i would think so 
Um, the the interesting thing with this is that um, despite running a, a I mean I think that Ohio State's defensive scheme is about as well known as anyone's in the country like they are Ohio State's very open about being a single high team um, to a obviously to a fault um, despite being that for three years now Ohio State really doesn't have very many safeties on its roster like actual true safeties um, and Josh Proctor, the the starting single high safety, uh, I would say is pretty good at it. He is gone. He's lost for the year. He has a, a, a fracture in his right leg. Um, and I don't know. I don't know how much of the game you watched on on Saturday. From the sounds of it, you watched most of it. Uh, All his of it. yeah his <laughs> his his primary backup. Um, number 17 Bryson Shaw didn't have a great game he didn't have a great game he's uh he's not terribly new to the program he was a 2019 signee um he's just not I mean flat out he's just not very good he's just not a very good football player um he he uh he doesn't seem to know what he was doing he was as a safety passing off assignments to the safety which uh not Uh, I mean you're the buddy you're the safety um (laughs) and uh he's just he he very obviously wasn't ready and so moving to a, a at least implementing more too high stuff certainly makes sense and i think that ohio state's going to look into it but ohio state has to find two safeties and that's not a that's not a given i think lathan ransom who's a he's sort of a, a slot corner nickel of sorts right now uh probably looks to move back to safety he played there in high school but has has shifted at ohio state um Ryan Watts is getting some some run there purely because he's six foot three. He's he's actually a cornerback, but um, Ohio State is is in sort of dire straits here. Uh, Demario McCall, the former oh wide receiver, God. yeah, <laughs> former wide receiver, running back now, uh, spent the offseason at cornerback. Um, he's getting some run at safety, uh, which I like Demario McCall a lot. I would I would be strongly in favor of that just because i think it'd be really funny um but it's it's probably not great business to be might uh, not be the answer yeah to be running to mario mccall back there but if you're going to do that too high safety stuff you have to have two safeties and that is not a given for ohio state isn't uh Malik hooker's younger brother on the, on the yes roster too? marcus hooker is on the roster he had a rough 2020 and he followed that up with a rough offseason where he oh, was okay. uh he uh he he caught a a dui charge i believe oh in in april i think and was sort of loosely suspended kind of suspended spent the offseason suspended which doesn't mean a whole lot <laughs> um we've not seen him yet this season so he he there was a decent chance that he was suspended in ohio state just didn't tell us um which is a common thing with ohio state we, we have not heard about a suspension in about three or four years so I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case but um he wasn't he wasn't very good last season he is he is very much not his brother uh unless he took some pretty serious steps forward this season so it, it is it, it, the safety room is not not great right now which is strange for how many four and five stars ohio state has but it really just hasn't recruited very many true safeties and I mean, speaking of how many four and five star recruits Ohio State has brought in, one thing that kind of jumped out watching the game on Saturday was just there wasn't like a superstar that really yeah. jumped off the screen. And I mean, I, you know, I think a lot of hopes heading into the season were that Zach Harrison would break out. I, I know Michigan fans were worried about that being the case, but it doesn't seem like, like seemingly for the first time in forever that Ohio State doesn't really have like a top tier elite defensive end. 
Yeah. And, or a top tier elite corner necessarily. And that's uh that feels good watching as a Michigan fan. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm curious about this because I think a lot of people have noted this and that some and I said as much on on Twitter. I think that some maybe have the wrong, they have the right identification but the wrong process. Um, Ohio State's defensive issues are not a result of the lack of a of a or of the lack of a star. Ohio State's lack of a star is a result of the defensive issues. Mm. Um, Zach Harrison, who I know Michigan fans are very familiar with, is not a bad player. He certainly wasn't a bad recruit. He's He should be quite a bit better than he is, essentially. And I don't know that it is a lack of development that has caused this as much as it is the way that Ohio State is instructing these guys to play. Tyreek Smith, kind of a similar story. Um, I... I'd be honest, if I'm being honest here, I think I'd be surprised if there is a star at the end of the season on this defense, just because I think that this is very fundamentally broken. Um, I don't think that this staff is is capable of teaching this scheme in a way that will work for these guys. Um, but the the talent obviously is still there. I mean, Seven Banks is a former four-star. Eventually, we're assuming he's going to play, because he, he hasn't yet. Um Denzel Burke is a former four-star freshman cornerback who has, I, I think he might be your star. He's looked very good through through two weeks, but um, the the only real established guy on this defense who I, I think we are we have seen you know actual production from and aren't just projecting with is Haskell Garrett, who is a defensive tackle, which is not exactly the the best position to have your star if you're you know surrounding him with ten guys who don't really know what you're what they're doing. Um, but I I, I I don't think that somebody's going to really emerge this season just because I don't think that this staff knows how to free these guys up to play comfortably and to play confidently. And that's that's the the biggest issue that I have really seen with this defense is that everybody out there and this is not what you want from a college defender. Uh, everybody out there is thinking way, way, way too much thinking. Um, there are plays where you can see Tarada Mitchell, who is a senior linebacker captain, has been on the program for a very long time. You can see him thinking, which is if if you can see it on the TV camera, that guy's really out there working through his processes. Um, and that's just, I don't think that anybody on this defense is comfortable enough to play in the way that allows them to be a star. Nobody's running. Nobody is nobody is showing the athleticism that earned them those recruiting rankings because everybody's very deeply confused about what they're supposed to be doing in this system. This sounds alarmingly like uh, Michigan's 2020 situation. Uh, I, I don't think you'd be wrong in saying that. <laughs> so with that as the, the baseline here, uh, how did that game alter your outlook for Ohio State season? Because now, like this is a this seems like a pretty open Big Ten race, except it's unclear which teams are capable of like stepping <laughs> into that void. Yeah, it's it's an open Big Ten race with like ten teams that could be in it, but we don't really know which ten will be in it. Um, I, the thing with Ohio State is that, as we saw against. Minnesota, in which I, I think that the defensive issues were just as apparent against Minnesota. It's just that these questions only get asked when Ohio State loses um, for reasons that I probably shouldn't get into uh, at risk of getting in trouble. Um, but these these issues have been with Ohio State for a while. These were the same issues that existed last season. Um, I the running game was the running defense was better last year than it is this year. Obviously, thanks in large part to four senior linebackers and Tommy Togiai. Um, 
those guys are gone. That safety net is gone. I think the pass defense is just as bad as it was last year, and I think the rush defense is obviously significantly worse. But Ohio State was still in the national championship game last season, despite that. Um, that team had Justin Fields. Obviously, this one doesn't. But Ohio State's talent is such, specifically on offense, where I think even with the defense in an absolutely disastrous situation where it just does not really know what it's supposed to be doing, the coaching isn't very good, the play calling, you've got two plays, so I don't really know how you can mess it up as bad as they do. Um, but even with all of that said, it, Ohio State's talent advantage is still such that it, you have to stop Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and now also Jackson Smith and Jigba enough to to outscore Ohio State, and that's just not going to be easy to do for pretty much all of the Big Ten teams that that Ohio State would have to battle with. I think that Penn State could have a decent chance. I think that Indiana could have a decent chance if its offensive line uh, figures out how to play football, which is not a given. Um, I, I'll, I'll play to the crowd here. I think that Michigan could have a chance. It's it's. Uh, I, I will not go as far as to predict that because I've, <laughs> I've watched the game recently. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think that Ohio State is, is seriously susceptible here to teams that do have four stars to teams that do have talent um minnesota almost beat it i mean if it wasn't for a a scoop and score minnesota i think would have won that game and minnesota is not as talented as any of those teams that i just named so i i think that the ohio state offense even with a a a step down from from justin fields though i don't think it's a huge step down at least not as much as as people maybe are assuming in CJ Stroud. Um, I I think that this defense is bad enough that a lot of the top end teams in the big 10 can legitimately have a chance against it, which has not been the case for, for several years now. Yeah. Uh, You can take a pretty big step down from Justin Fields and still have very good quarterback play. Yeah. Uh, Especially by the uh, standard being set by the big 10 this season. (laughs) I would say so. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of which, like, uh, as as much as I hate to take the focus off of Ohio State, uh, like which team from the Big Ten has surprised? This might be tough to answer, but which team from the Big Ten has surprised you in a positive way? Do you want the the uh, you know playing to the crowd answer, or do you want the <laughs> play the heel answer? Because I have two uh, answers for this, and they are diametrically opposed. I I, I kind of want to hear. I mean, obviously, I, I I have a good sense of where you're going with the playing to the crowd one, but I'd love to hear both of them. Um, all right, I'll, I'll get some I'll get some cheap heat first. Uh, I thought Michigan State was going to be terrible, um, <laughs> and Michigan State. I was State in is, that boat too. Yeah, Michigan State is. I don't think terrible. It could certainly prove me wrong this weekend against Miami, but. Um, I actually quite like that running game um, and the uh, Mel Tucker trying to install SEC stuff for as stupid as that is a concept um, because that's you can't do that in the Big Ten. It's an SEC thing specifically. That's why it's, you know, hence the name. Uh, but I, I do think that Mel Tucker is a seemingly pretty good coach and has, has worked a lot of transfers into a system that I don't think is is bad. Uh, his quarterbacks aren't good enough to actually really do all that much, but I thought Michigan State was going to be in a bad, bad place this year, and it, it isn't. Um, my my playing to the crowd answer is Michigan. Um, I DM'd you earlier this week to ask about how sustainable you thought the running game was because I was, I was watching it on Sunday on a rewatch, uh, which... Man, that that Washington team. Just as an aside, 
not good. (laughs) Really, really not good. But I, I was, I was watching specifically for the Michigan running game. Um, and I, I really like it. I really like Blake Corum. Um, he is, I, I think a, a, the kind of game changer that, that Michigan has not had on offense in a while, at least in, in, in my eyes. Um, I'm curious to see how that line holds up against better fronts. I'm not sure how many of those there are in the big 10, but I've been very impressed with the Michigan running game, the passing game. I'm, I'm obviously less sold on. Um, (laughs) and I, I quite like what I've seen from the defense again, small sample size, but Caleb Ellaby is a good quarterback and Michigan did a really good job against him in week one. Um, it, it seems like there's some confidence back on that, that defense. And it's not like they were lacking for talent in, in, in 2020 or now. I mean, there are, from what I have seen, some, some maybe depth issues in the secondary to, to put it nicely, but Mm -hmm. I like this system and I like the way that they play in it. These, these guys are, are flying to the ball. They look confident. They look, they don't look as labored as they did in years past. And I think that that's just something that happens when you have, a system that you're kind of building on years and years and years, you start to install these, these assignments and things where it just becomes a little bit too complex for college kids. And it, they, this defense looks a lot less overwhelmed than they did last year. So I, I've liked a lot of what I've seen from Michigan. I, I would like to see it against a team with a little bit more of a pulse. Washington probably isn't that I'm curious to see I'm curious to see what Michigan does against some of the some of the better teams in the Big Ten but I I I think that the the Big Ten East as a whole is is better than I thought it would be in a way that it has maybe four or five top 30 top 35 teams maybe even six um and that is that's quite a bit better than i thought granted i don't know if it has any top five teams it might only have one top 10 team and that one top 10 team can't uh, play defense um but i I think that it as a whole it is a it's a much deeper division than i thought it was going to be yeah looking at uh bill Connolly's sp plus rankings is a pretty wild experience right now (laughs) Uh, and certainly it forecasts a, a very interesting Big Ten East race if if things stick that way uh on the flip side of the question I just asked uh, which Big Ten team has surprised you in a negative way there are so many options yeah. man I uh this one breaks my heart because I really do I I have I have come to love the fans of this team online I have come to be good friends with a lot of them um I really liked this team last year I really liked their story uh I thought Indiana was going to be really good this year and man it just isn't it's just really not good it's uh it's bad in ways that are strange and new and i'm not really sure how they happened the offensive line from what i've gathered returned several starters and and should in theory be the same as it was last year but um there are some really weak links up front in 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 places that you just cannot afford to have weak links for for this offense um the rushing attack is is predicated on on quickly developing plays with offensive linemen who don't move very quickly and with a running back who doesn't move very quickly um and michael Penix is absolutely terrified of throwing to any receiver that isn't ty freifogel which i I don't blame him for watching these receivers but Mm -hmm. ty freifogel is not exactly a possession guy i i I don't think you can throw to him 20 20 times a game and, and feel pretty good about the result of that he's he's really pretty much just a go route machine um the the talent here should be creating a much better offense 
than it is. I, 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 I don't know how Peyton Hendershot is not more involved in the passing game. I don't know why the running backs aren't more involved in the passing game. Um, I don't think that Nick Sheridan was necessarily a, an, an inspired pick for that offensive coordinator role. And I was about to point to him yeah, as he's, a possible root of these problems. And also, you know, his mentor, uh-huh. Mike DeBoer. <laughs> I don't know why Tom Allen can't get away from that guy. Like the the one time that he did, it worked so well. And he's like, well, we just got to go back to Mike. <laughs> he even went to a guy with like a practically identical last name. And yeah. it worked out great. And it was yeah. like, dude, you just have to shift a tiny bit. But yeah, it's no, not that, right right it's not, back to that coaching tree of all. Co- it's hard to even find people on that coaching tree. Yeah, it's it's really it's it's honestly pretty impressive that he managed to uh, <laughs> he managed to do it. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. Maybe Indiana should 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 look into, you know, an encouraging young offensive line. Perhaps Mick McCall of uh, Iowa State, I think, would be an interesting <laughs> hire. Um, but uh, it's just it, it's it is lacking in creativity in a way way that you just cannot afford to as Indiana the talent there is not strong enough to coast um and the the offensive creativity has been completely sapped from that program and it certainly doesn't help that the offensive line is also big time bad um defense I think is probably about the same as it was last year but the uh the strength of that team was that it was fairly balanced and it was able to to score and keep up with that defense and I just uh I, I don't like what I have seen from from Indiana in a in a division that seems to be getting better. I think that Indiana is in a uh, in a bad spot here if it can't get things together very quickly. And um, unfortunately for the the Hoosiers and Hoosier fans who I'm, I'm sure listen to this show because they seemingly consume every podcast, um, <laughs> all of them. Yeah, which is it's very impressive. It's uh it's a it's a fun sort of group disorder that Indiana fans have where they listen to every college football podcast. Um, I think we have more Indiana listeners on, on the Ohio state podcast that I do than we do Ohio state listeners. Um, but it's, uh, I, I don't think workshopping the offensive line against Cincinnati is necessarily a, a, a uh, an approach that I would recommend. And so I think that Indiana very quickly could find itself in a hole here, even if it does get things figured out. So I, I have been, I have been disappointed by Indiana in a in a way that I really was I was hoping to see a good Indiana this year. Absolutely, and uh, I I do want to spring one last Big Ten question on here that okay. I may not have included in the show notes, but uh, uh, in the other division it looks like an extremely clear path for Iowa all of a sudden. But yeah. I just I know that Iowa has you know like once a presidential cycle a, a, an extremely good team. But I always have a hard time talking myself into it, and I like they've relied so much on turnovers so far this year that I, I, I just like I'm not totally ready to buy in. Are are you bought in on Iowa yet? Or are you are you still in wait and see mode? So it's it's funny because no, I'm not by I'm not bought in on Iowa. However, I do think it's going to win the West very easily, um, yes. which is it, it's 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 not terribly difficult to square those two things, honestly, because if you have a really good defense in the West, as Northwestern has shown us, you don't need to even field an offense. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and Iowa is really good at being in the right place. I don't know if that will last all year, but it it has through two weeks with with creating turnover opportunities um and this i mean 
this Phil Parker defense is what it usually is. It's it's a it's an extremely well coached unit that is really good at confusing opposing offenses, specifically young quarterbacks, of which the Big Ten has about forty. Um, <laughs> and this is a I would say better than usual Iowa defense for for talent, which means that it's going to be top five or top ten. This is a really good group. The offense is what holds me up here. This offense is terrible. This offense is really, really disastrously bad in a way that I don't think has shown up quite yet because they keep getting pick sixes and scoop and scores. Um, Spencer Petras is still, I think, one of the worst quarterbacks in the conference, which is hard to do. Um, And Iowa secretly has that sort of mid-2010s Michigan State thing going on where the running game you think is really good, but you look at it and it's actually not good at all. It's it's They just do it a lot, but it's... I mean, Tyler Goodson is averaging like three and a half yards a carry. That's just... It's not very good. But I think that the defense is such that, that Iowa is still going to be able to coast through a, a West without any real offensive threats. I mean, Minnesota's down its best running back. Wisconsin is fielding Graham Mertz at quarterback. Um, <laughs> Illinois, Northwestern, Nebraska, I don't think I even need to really give any details on Purdue in no. that group as well. Um, and so it it's sort of just by default. I'm curious about the Iowa-Penn State game. I think that that will be not fun, but it will be valuable information <laughs> at least, unless you're unless you're into the, the old rock fight, which I know some people are. Um but yeah, I, I think Iowa, I, I don't believe in Iowa in any meaningful way. And I also think I would be stunned if it doesn't win the Big Ten West, which is an indictment of just about everything that this conference stands for. And then they'll get housed in the Big Ten title game. Mm, maybe. Be, depending we'll on see. depending on who's coming out of the East. I uh, That's true. Admittedly, <laughs> C.J. Stroud against that Iowa defense. Talk about young quarterbacks being confused. That uh, <laughs> doesn't sound great. I mean, it. Uh, he. I thought he played for the most part a pretty darn good game against Oregon, yeah. and then that late interception was like, oh man, if you're playing against a really yeah. opportunistic defense, that could be a problem. And surely Iowa doesn't have one of those. No, not at all. No. <laughs> uh, before I let you go, uh, I mean, you have an entire newsletter dedicated to the group of five, which, first of all, is fantastic because thank uh, you. They need the attention, and yes. it is hard to find information on them, and. I, for one, end up watching a lot of, like, really crappy Big Ten matchups when I could be watching some really interesting group of five matchups because that's just my default. So especially this year when, like, seemingly nine out of ten Big Ten games are completely unwatchable, uh, what's like a group of five team or maybe, like, three that we should be making an effort to watch play? First up is the the big one that I, I'm sure a lot of people are already watching, but Cincinnati. You, I mean, this team's awesome. This team is really, really good. This is a the the way that I have that I have sold it to. I talk primarily to you know with with my work. I talk primarily to Ohio State fans, so this might not play as well with Michigan fans, but I do think that it still makes sense. Um, this is what late stage Jim Tressel would have been had Terrell Pryor not gotten in trouble. Um, this is a, a, a deeply, deeply good team in, in a very balanced way. They run the ball really well. The offensive line is spectacular. Desmond Ritter is legitimate, which is not something that I thought I would be saying, but last year he sort of came into his own and this year he's still really good. Um, they don't really have one guy who stands out at receiver. They're all just Brian Rubisky, essentially. They're they're just pretty good. Um, and the defense is Luke Fickles, and Luke Fickle coordinates a really good defense. And, and I, I think that the loss of Marcus Freeman did not hurt Cincinnati in any meaningful way, and it, it seems like maybe Marcus Freeman wasn't the guy who was calling that defense mm. in the first place. Um, 
And so this this team's awesome. This team is really, really fun to watch. I think it's going to go undefeated. I think it is going to house Indiana and Notre Dame in in pretty convincing fashion. I think that it should be a playoff team at the end of the season, especially if three of the conferences, you know, in, in the power five don't have anything significant to offer. Um, whether it will or not, I, I can't be terribly sure about, but, uh, <laughs> I, I really like watching these guys. The, the other ones that I would recommend, I think that the Sunbelt race as a whole is going to be really fun between coastal Carolina or among coastal Carolina, app state and Louisiana. It, it looked like it was going to be a two team race entering the season, but Louisiana is a little bit worse than we thought. And app state is a little bit better than we thought. Coastal is going to win the league, but it's, it's, those three are all really fun to watch. And, Outside of that, I, I think that if you want to watch a team just absolutely stomp through its league, UTSA is really good for that because that offense is spectacular behind running back Sincere McCormick. It, it really has sort of a a throwback feel to the way that they're doing things. They still run RPO like crazy, but Sincere McCormick is going to touch the ball 30, 40 times. Um and so those would be those would be my primary recs. You can't go wrong with a Sunbelt game unless it has ULM in it. Um, Cincinnati is going to be dominant all season, and UTSA is really fun. And, and I think that the the CUSA battle among them, UAB and Marshall, is is very good as well. So I would I would recommend any of that fully. Well, thank you because I I need to start tuning in. I did get to catch uh, sincere McCormick and UTSA because they beat Illinois he, in a game that was like very easy to yeah. see coming in terms of them beating Illinois. And he, uh, and he didn't even that. he didn't even play especially well, which is very impressive. Yes, no that that was like a, a relatively complete beatdown. Uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess we'll call that a Big Ten victory. Um, <laughs> it, it technically counts. Uh, Thank you so much for for coming on the pod, Patrick. Uh, of course. Plug plug your work before I let you go, man. Um, as you mentioned, I'm I'm the associate editor editor of Buckeye Sports Bulletin. I don't imagine that that a ton of your listeners are interested in receiving an Ohio State newspaper, but um, if you are, you it's, might be surprised. Yeah, it's 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 good. I promise, it's a good newspaper. We've got good stuff in there. Um, I don't know if this is as much a thing as, as the, the memes about Michigan fans make it seem like, but if you like history stuff, we do a lot of that, like a lot of history stuff, more than other Ohio State outlets that I think is legitimately very interesting. We, we just did a story on one of Ohio State's first black players who was a, he was a really, really good offensive tackle um, in 1931 that I thought was very interesting, but uh, you, can, you can find that just by going to my Twitter account. Um, I also run the outside zone as Ace has alluded to, which is a G5 newsletter. It's $5 a month for three stories a week. The Wednesday issue is, is free. Um, but it's sort of game reviews, game recommendations, some historical stuff, play breakdown, scheme breakdowns for G5 teams. I did previews of every single G5 team this off season as well. So if you want information on any, any G5 team, I, I have it in, in the archives and it is, it's available for just $5 a month. Um, and then I am also available in audio forms on the Buckeye Sports Bulletin podcast, which is, I would say, probably the only actively antagonistic Ohio State podcast available. <laughs> um, we, that, that is a strong endorsement. We, we talk about the Bucks in a way that, that the other ones will not because um, Wyatt Crocher and I are not Ohio State fans in any significant way. Folks, we just cover the team. Um, and uh, you're not going to find that a ton of other places on this beat. Uh, I am also at Flipping the Field, which is... Uh, 
the national college football show that I host with Ryan Donnelly. You can follow that on Twitter at Field Flipping. Um, I th- I think that's everything. It uh, it feels like in my day to day, it feels like I'm doing about forty things, but it turns out it's really just the uh, it's just the four. I mean, it's a I, the amount of work you put into it very much comes across, especially in stuff like previewing every group of five team, <laughs> which I imagine was uh, a an de- incredible undertaking. A decision in retrospect that maybe I shouldn't have made, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if it returns next year. But either way, uh, the outside zone is very much worth subtracting to, and may pay itself off if you uh, you know listen for uh, some wagering advice uh, between that reading that and uh, listening to flipping the field. Um, I, I you, cannot promise. I cannot insight. promise that my financial advice is solid. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I've been making picks on our main pod, and uh, they haven't been going. It's as hard, well as my man. Normal picks. It's <laughs> different. I feel like it's always like you know, you do okay, and then as soon as you put picks public, like you just face plant. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's that's the nature of it. But anyway, uh, that was Patrick Mayhorn. Uh, please keep Kerry Combs as defensive coordinator. Ryan Day. It's it's going great. I want to see how it plays out. Um, Please experiment with some cover, too. It, it went awesome for Michigan last year. Um, and, yeah, uh, I think that's it for this week's show. Uh, thank you for tuning in. And uh, if you're here, uh, thank you very much for subscribing to The Bucket Problem. Have a great week.